This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Mountain Bike Park City. It's mountain bike season. Experience a world-class mountain bike destination in Park City, Utah. From vast, gentle rolling hills in Round Valley to white-knuckle descents at Deer Valley Resort, Park City boasts 450 miles of award-winning single track, gravity trails, bike parks, and lift-served riding for all ability levels. Plus, you get the lodging, dining, and entertainment options you'd expect from a world-class resort town. Round out your stay with other recreation activities like fly fishing or horseback riding, free concerts, art galleries, shopping, and more. It all comes together in Park City, and it's what's pushed this mountain bike destination to the gold standard. Get your Park City, Utah vacation rolling by visiting mountainbikingparkcity.com. You're listening to Frontlines, a podcast for the people that truly make mountain biking happen. Not the riders, racers, or product designers, but the builders, advocates, and the often forgotten board members of your local mountain bike trail association. In the past, we've explored what I define as umbrella organizations. These are groups that represent a much broader geographic community and have either chapters or affiliate organizations beneath them. Some, like the International Mountain Bicycling Association, represent on a national level. And others, like the Evergreen Mountain Bike Alliance of Washington State, the Vermont Mountain Bike Association, or the Michigan Mountain Bike Association, all represent at a state level. We've also covered regional organizations like the Caribou Mountain Bike Consortium in British Columbia and the Ozark Off-Road Cyclists in Arkansas. Like grassroots trail associations, all of these groups are unique and operate in different ways, and I think there's lessons for all of us, whether we work with an umbrella organization or not. This episode, I want to dive into the Southern Off-Road Bicycle Association, and without any further delay, I'm your host, Brian Hillier. This is episode 61 of Frontlines. I'm joined by three guests, all from the Southern Off-Road Bicycle Association. First, I have Paul Stahlschmidt. He's the Sorba Executive Committee President, and he joins us from Boone, North Carolina. Hi, Paul. Hello. Second, I've got Terry Palmieri. She's the Sorba Associate Director, and she's out in Ellijay, Georgia. Hi, Terry. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Thanks for having me. And finally, I've got Tom Sorette. He's the Sorba Executive Director, and he joins us out in Greenville, South Carolina. Thank you. Tom, can you start us off with a bit of history? How long has the the Southern Off-Road Bicycle Association been around for? This is our 30th year. It's uh, 1989. Sorba was formed as an advocacy group in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, in response to the uh, Kennesaw Mountain National Battlefield deciding that Mountain biking, which had been taking place there for several years, was inappropriate. And um, the folks uh, at the time decided that mountain biking in Georgia needed an advocacy group. And and that's where it began. So interesting. Like many organizations, it it started kind of with 
with trail loss, essentially there was uh there was something that needed to be done. So it really started as a grassroots organization, um, with kind of, uh, one intention or, or like a local intention in mind. When did the, the transition from kind of being focused on, on one particular area to being focused on a much broader, uh, region, you know, the entire South of, of, uh, of the United States? Well, it really happened in stages and I, I became involved in, probably the early 90s, 93. And, and uh, I had approached, uh, I, I lived in Gainesville, Georgia, which is about uh, 40 miles north of Atlanta. And I approached a land manager about creating legal mountain bike trails uh, in Gainesville. And that uh, land manager was really adamant that we be part of a larger organization. So I began driving down to REI in Atlanta and meeting with, with the Sorba folks and going through the bylaws at the time realized that uh, the people who had created uh, the bylaws in 89, 88 um, uh, had envisioned that we could have chapters. And that's how this began. Uh, and it morphed by 19, uh, about 2000, we had the need for an executive director. Uh, we had probably about 25, 20, 25 chapters at that point. It started in Georgia and, and then it, uh, quickly folks in Chattanooga became interested. Folks in South Carolina became interested and asked to become chapters, and we began adopting them one one at a time, all of them recognizing the value as to share resources and particularly intellectual resources and work together as one entity rather than, you know, scattered, ineffectual, small groups or less effectual small groups was a far better way to go. And we've been on that path ever since. Yeah, when we fast forward now, so Sorba has 46 chapters in seven states, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Tennessee. And how does the the Sorba program and, and its 46 chapters fit into the the new IMBA local program uh, that was uh, that was launched uh, not too long ago? Well, we've had a long history with IMBA. One of those first founding members of of Sorba back 30 years ago, needed help and guidance and reached out to Tim Blumenthal, who had just been named as first executive director of IMBA. And he went out to Arizona to the very first IMBA summit. And so from the very beginning, we've always had, uh, and, and, and later became part of the first IMBA uh, board of directors, and we've always had someone from Sorba land on the IMBA board. So we've always had a very close relationship with IMBA, and we now are part of the IMBA uh, local program, and we do still work very closely with them. Though we are our own standalone 501c3 with our own executive board and our own set of of, uh, policies and operations procedures. With a group like Sorba, you've got a number of chapters, as we've mentioned. You're in you're in seven states. Are, are things kind of broken down where all 46 chapters are kind of reporting up to Sorba, or do you have kind of a breakdown with with each state kind of having representation? How does how does a chapter kind of get representation up to uh, up to the top of Sorba? There are two ways. First, every chapter has a a seat kind of in our general assembly. Uh, we call it just the, the larger board. So we have 
46 votes when we, you know, conduct our business. Uh, within that, every state should have somebody, uh, does have somebody on the executive board representing them. So uh, we have a representative from each state and uh, that full board. And we meet twice a year as a group. And our chapter presidents are required to attend or send a proxy to each of those meetings. And those meetings move around the region. So we've had meetings in every state, I think now, except Mississippi, the newest uh, will eventually, I'm sure, hold a, uh, a fall or spring meeting uh, in, in, in that location as well. And between those two meetings, we often have statewide calls. The state rep uh, will call and we just share information that way. What can a, a group like Sorba do for a, a local trail association or, or in this case, a, a chapter? Paul, if you, if you wouldn't mind. Well, I think sharing resources that Tom mentioned earlier is a, is a big thing. You know, we learn, learn from each other, so to speak. Uh, and that could be policy type things with precedent, with land managers, like, you know, one chapter might work with the forest service on their forest. And then another chapter might have something they could learn from that chapter dealing with the same agency just on, on their local level, you know, but it could also be as specific as trail know-how, um, technical trail building techniques, uh, you know, different things uh, you do on your trail regarding uh, user conflict or, or anything like that. It, it's really nice to have so many resources out there that you can lean on for different information. And the, the meetings twice annually are, are a great place for, for that to happen. And then again, sometimes we even co-host events with each other. This uh, coming weekend in Old Fort, North Carolina, there's a, a nice event uh, where three of our chapters are going to be working together there. And uh, sometimes trail systems lie in areas that, you know, we don't have a lot of local representation. So that could be a way to solve a problem, uh, you know, host an event to get a lot of people there. Terry, did you have something you wanted to add to that? Uh, yes, I, th I think I can go into the uh, nuts and bolts of how we, we function. So basically, my job is to support our 46 chapters and whatever they need. So we, we lead them through how to remain compliant as a 501c3. We help them with land manager meetings, and, and that can be anywhere from actually traveling to their area and, and sitting in or leading a meeting with land managers. We help them mediate conflict within their chapters. Um, we help build the community behind a new trail system they may be advocating for. We help them learn how to do uh, fundraising to, to do the build. We connect them up with experts to help them design and build the trails it's it's basically whatever they need, we're here for them. So basically, my day is composed of answering communications with our chapters. They have questions on our insurance. We're here constantly to help them and even travel to where they are to give them the support that they need. Yeah, I kind of see this as, as being... A great way to, it, it's almost, you know, I kind of see this as, as a, as a bit of insurance, you know, with, with local trail associations, they require great people on the ground and, and we're asking a lot 
of volunteers, I think, for to, to help maintain trails, to help keep these trail associations uh, strong and, and flexible when they need to be. Um, and, and we can't always ask these people to stick around forever. And so what I see a lot is, you know, we get new people into a, a trail association, uh, things are great, but at a certain point they, they leave. And, and so you can almost kind of see the ebb and flow of some organizations when they have, you know, and as an example, maybe a great social media presence because they've got somebody on the board that's really good at that. But then, you know, fast forward a few years and, and now all of a sudden, you know, everybody that's on the board that might not necessarily be their strong suit. And so we kind of get this real ebb and flow of a lot of uh, trail associations, but it kind of sounds like what Sorba provides is, is this resource when it's required. And, and there might be certain situations where a, a chapter is really strong at certain things and don't necessarily kind of need that help with stuff. But in other moments when, uh, when they do need that and they need you as an, as a resource, you're there uh, for them, which is wonderful. Yeah, we do provide that consistency. So uh, I have kind of two, two questions about, uh, chapters. And, and the first one is, you know, how would uh, a trail association that maybe isn't affiliated with Sorba, how would they, they start the process with, uh, with becoming uh, a Sorba chapter? Terry, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So one of the things that we do offer on our website, Sorba.org, is resources. So we, we have all kinds, anything that a, a chapter could want or need, it's that question is probably answered in resources. So in our operations manual, we do have a, a whole chapter on becoming a chapter. And uh, so they contact us uh, usually through our website at info at sorba.org. Basically, though, what we're looking for is an organization to have at least 50 members because we think that's what's needed for them to be sustainable. You've got to be able to draw leadership from that 50 members and uh, have some continuity. That's what, that's what it takes. So we look for that. We look for their trail builds. We look at uh, many different factors, and uh, they go through a process. It, it takes about three months or so to get uh, all the information, get everything loaded up in our database, and then they uh, have to attend one of our meetings, either the fall or the uh, spring one, the summit, and somebody has to present their organization, and then the, our board of directors votes them in as a proxy. Once everything is complete, then they're voted in as a chapter, but it, it is a whole board decision on whether to accept a new chapter. And then my second question is is kind of around jurisdiction. Is are chapters kind of focused on on their little area, or do neighboring chapters work together on on certain projects or certain events or certain initiatives? Oh yeah. So one of the things that we do is is when a group comes together, and it might be within the territory of another chapter, they can come in as a auxiliary chapter. That, I mean, but they're tied to the the main chapter until they're big enough where they can split off and, and do their own thing. I think our one of our largest chapters there in Knoxville, AMBAC, they had a, a subgroup within uh, the Clinch Valley uh, group, 
And uh, they mentored them for years until they decided they were, you know, big enough to start on their own and, and they started on their own. So now they're a very highly effective chapter. So we do have that mentoring going on with smaller groups with the larger chapter. I think the territories vary a little bit. Um, I'm you know, speaking from North Carolina. We have several chapters here and, you know, we have some places that have trails that are kind of on the fringes of each territory. And usually they either work, you know, the chapters work together on those or, you know, just through process of communication, sometimes we'll have uh, an event there like one uh, in old fort, for example, which I mentioned before where several, several groups are going to that location because there's not really a chapter there locally. Now, Paul, you're with the Northwest North Carolina Mountain Bike Alliance. Uh, you're their, their former president. You know, we heard from, from Tom about what, uh, what the representation of, of the chapters are, the 46 chapters are, and how they kind of vote and, and guide the direction of, of Sorba. And we also heard how, how the seven states have representation on that executive committee. Paul, how did you transition from being with your local chapter to to kind of being with the executive committee for Sorba? As the president, I attended meetings and got involved with all the things that trail association presidents do, chapter presidents do, and just you know, really just wanted to get involved with Sorba uh, on the leadership level because I think I can help with the executive committee and um, help share some of the things we've done along the way. I was really involved with the forest plan revision for uh, Pisgah and Anahela Forests. I found that I was communicating what was going on in that plan revision to a lot of different people. You know, it's a nice way to kind of transition into the Sorba Executive Committee just because, you know, just because I had a little bit of that experience of working with the chapters. I kind of knew how it worked. And the other way I got involved is that I got talked into it. <laughs> so <laughs> as many volunteers do, um, you know, I'm not paid staff, but I'm a volunteer doing that. But I don't mind taking, uh, you know, taking a, a couple years to do this and, and, and help out and keep the, keep the organization strong. I did want to say one, one more thing. Go ahead, Tom. Terry and I do work, a lot of work to support the chapters. And we also are, are working on, on some larger policy regional issues as well. We have uh, an incredibly good relationship with the U.S. Forest Service in Region 8, and we have the only regional MOU with a, you know, with a, with an entire region. So, and we try to keep, uh, you know, an eye on any developments, good or, or negative that could be coming down the pike for mountain biking. And, keeping our chapters and our members our membership informed of 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 what's happening on that that higher level and of course we do coordinate with imba on many of these strategies mm. yeah i think it's it's a huge benefit of having uh kind of that that higher level representation i think you know as as trail associations we're we're often just bogged down with kind of the the day-to-day -day operation and 
And for a lot of clubs, I mean, it, and, and Sorba is a great example of this. I mean, it kind of, it was started out of some sort of trail loss and some sort of challenge. And, and for a lot of organizations, that is how they begin. Um, trails are being lost, uh, organization gets started. And then for a lot of, of a trail organization's existence, they're going from kind of fighting fire after fire after fire, right? And they don't have that capacity to kind of think uh, a little bit more big picture. And, and I think that's uh, one of these huge benefits to, to an organization like Sorba is that, you know, if a chapter is not able to kind of think about that stuff, that Sorba is there kind of uh, taking care of some of that. Exactly. We can't expect our volunteers who often have families and full-time jobs that don't allow them to attend a lot of these public meetings and partnership meetings. Uh, we're here to help with that. And I think it's been uh, very good for mountain biking in the Southeast that we have been able to help with that. So how does the uh, the funding relationship work between the chapter and Sorba? I know we've heard a lot of different models uh, over the years. We've heard kind of the the former IMBA model of uh, of, of kind of membership dues and, and portions of that going to, to IMBA. Um, how does it work uh, in Sorba with the chapters? The chapters are paying uh, 60% of a member of their membership dues to support Sorba Maine, Sorba HQ, and our, you know, all of the things that we do, and we provide some things back to them over and beyond just what I've described about policy work, the two meetings a year. Uh, we provide an umbrella liability insurance policy, for instance, that a lot of chapters are, are glad to have, and sometimes uh, some land managers insist that they have. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, insurance alone, it adds a ton of value to, uh, to that relationship. I know that is something that a lot of trail associations, uh, struggle with. It's, uh, it can be a huge cost, uh, especially up front for organizations to kind of foot that bill for, uh, for insurance. Yeah, indeed. And it's, it's a challenge for us too, but we have <laughs> so, for, for 30 years managed and, uh, I realize that's a very important part of it to some of the chapters. Now, Sorba is hosting the, the Southern Mountain Bike Summit in Johnson City, Tennessee, May 15th to the 18th. Uh, what's involved with this event? Really, what we base these summits or our fall meetings on is, is what our chapters need and what our land managers need. And uh, so we, we do all our programming based on what we're hearing from our chapters but it's also open to the public. And so the public, if they're interested in starting, you know, a mountain bike trail system in, in their community, they can come to this summit and learn how, how it's done. For instance, in Johnson City, they have a new build called uh, the Tannery Knob Bike Park. And it took a whole community yeah, now it is the Tri Cities, uh, Sorba Tri Cities, that's that's hosting this event out in uh, in Johnson City. How much uh, does a chapter get involved with kind of hosting these events? Is it is it one of those things where kind of a, a chapter puts up their hand and they're saying like, yeah, we want to host this this event this year, or is it uh, is it one of those things where kind of Sorba decides where this where this event moves? Well, it's it's quite a uh, we've evolved this system and it really works well. The chapters have to fill out an application and send it in. And we've refined this application over the years and it really works quite well. So they're really doing most of the legwork, getting the facility to where we're, that's going to we're going to hold it, getting a host hotel, getting the tourism 
bureau or the local chamber, getting the local uh, government officials, local land manager, everyone's involved. And it's quite, quite a detailed process. So at that point, when we get the application, we do uh, look it over and uh, whichever application is the most complete and offers the most um, is the one that we select. From that point, then Tom and I pick it up. We put together the uh, program, what we're going to be offering as far as presentations and clinics and uh, go from there. So this year, uh, what is involved with, with the program? What, uh, what clinics are being offered? What presentations are being made? Well, this is really cool because what we've been hearing from our volunteers for the past couple of years, especially with the hurricanes that have come through the Southeast, they've created a lot of devastation and being able to effectively and safely clear down trees. Some trail systems can have hundreds of trees down. And it's often the mountain bikers that get out and get these trails clear before any other trails. So we felt that offering a chainsaw certification to our volunteers that don't have access to the training uh, would be the most beneficial. So this is a uh, USFS uh, chainsaw certification, which is the gold star as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Many of our local uh, forests offer the training to our local chapters, but we have chapters that are on the coast or somewhere in the interior where they're not affiliated with a uh, national forest and can't get the training. So that's one of the classes that we're teaching. It's already filling up already. I've already looked at, I just put out registration last week and it's starting to fill up quickly. Uh, The other is crew leader. So crew leaders are very, very important to our volunteers. They are trained to manage a crew of four to six volunteers that may not have any training and to make sure that they are effective with trail work and to keep them safe. So we find these two certifications very, very important for chapters. Above and beyond that, Tom, I'm going to let you talk about the summit programming. For the Friday and Saturday sessions, we have usually a focus on land managers on Friday. We'll have um, people from the Forest Service there, uh, several parks and recs and uh, state, uh, state park representatives, and programming on Saturday would be more focused on the volunteers so that we would have, you know, how to fundraise session or how to work effectively with elected officials, those kinds of programs. We do have uh, some professional trail builders coming in to talk that have been working in Europe and just to keep us up to speed on what's happening, not only in, you know, in the Southeast, but around the country uh, and around the world with, uh, with trails. There's trail education. There, there's kind of a social dimension to all of this too. On, on uh, you know, building club capacity, and then there's some good social time. We uh, have it every evening. Uh, we get together and recognize volunteers and as individuals and what they've put into the organization, and and give some some awards out and uh, and have a good time, and also go ride bikes. So for, for folks that are interested, uh, where can they find out more information about Sorba? Where can people find out more information about the, the Southern Mountain Bike Summit that's happening in, in Johnson City as well? Oh, absolutely. Just go to sorba.org. Perfect. And I'll make sure to include that in the show notes. Great. Thank you. 
Well, everybody, I just want to thank you so much for for taking the time to to chat with me and uh, and sharing a, a little bit about uh, about Sorba, what's ha- what's happened in the past, and, and what's happening right now. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes, thanks for the opportunity. Big thanks to all three of my guests today: Terry Palmieri, Paul Stahlschmidt, and Tom Surrett. For more information about the 2019 Southern Mountain Bike Summit happening May 15th to the 18th in Johnson City, Tennessee, you can check out the show notes for links to Sorba.org, Eventbrite, and the Facebook event. You'll also find links to Sorba on Facebook and Instagram. I'd also like to thank this episode's sponsor, Mountain Bike Park City. Links in the show notes as well. I know my family and I have been starting to plan our road trips for this summer. Perhaps you should consider putting Park City on your list. Like always, you can find the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at FrontlinesMTB. And you can send me an email or audio file to info at FrontlinesMTB.com. You can stream the show on Mountain Bike Radio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And if you haven't done so already, leave a review on wherever you get the show. It helps others find the podcast. Don't forget to support the show via PayPal. You can find a link in the show notes along with a link to the Frontlines MTB Book Club where a portion of any purchases made on Amazon after following those links will be sent to the podcast. Music, as always, is by Lee Rosevere. Production notes by Jennifer Pride. Artwork is created by Brandon Gallagher-Watson and BGW Creative. And big thanks to Ben Walnuck and the team at Mountain Bike Radio for their continued support. And finally, I'm Brent Hillier. This is Frontlines. Thanks for listening and happy trails.